Holy Trinity Church in Inwood, New York City. Welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's where I meet musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home what we affectionately call Upstate Manhattan. <laughs> I'm your host, Aaron Sims, and today we welcome writer Stephen Cole. Stephen is a prolific award-winning musical theater writer whose shows have been recorded, published, and produced from New York City to London to the Middle East. His works include After the Fair, which was nominated for the Outer Critics Circle Award for Best Musical, The Night of the Hunter, The Road to Qatar, Merman's Apprentice, and many others. He is also the author of five published books and is the creator, writer, and executive producer of a new comedy web series based on his story, Coney Island Surprise, starring Anita Jolette and Brian Hathaway. The pilot has been chosen as an official selection for this year's Inwood Film Festival and has played at the LA Independent Shorts Festival where it won several awards. We're gonna talk to him about his work on the stage and behind the camera and so much more, but first, let me welcome you, Stephen, to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's great to see you. Thanks for being it's great here. Great to see you. This is wonderful. So, Stephen, uh, you have such an accomplished resume from stage to screen. I wonder how do you get it all done? <laughs> the first question is like, yeah, how do you Lord, get it man. all done? Well, first of all, it's gone for many, many years. Yes, but uh, I'm the kind of writer because that's what I mostly do. Who I, I write in large spurts, and when I have to, I'm up day and night, and when I'm not. I am off riding my bike in Inwood. Well, you just took me through what was my next question for you, but I don't think I'd say, really say it much more now because I, just, I mean, I feel you have to have a certain degree of self-discipline and accountability as a writer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, when you are not being interviewed on podcasts um, or doing others, um, a typical work day for you it would be wonderful. It's like, you didn't start off just riding your bike every day in Inwood. Like, you earned your way up to it, right? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. but I always ride my bike. <laughs> because riding my bike is sometimes how I write. I, I'll be out with a problem. Wow. Like, what song am I going to write? Right. And lyrics do come to me because exercise does that. And I'm, I'm yeah. just pedaling away. Even when I live down in Chelsea and I, and I come up with lyrics, and I better run home and write it down. Because I don't bring a pad or a recorder. <laughs> You're ever. like, oh, how far can I ride away from my home effectively to get back in exactly. time? Exactly. And I always think if I can't remember it when I get home, it couldn't have been very good. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, that's what I really do. So that that's part of how I write. But when I, like, for example, I'm, I'm, I'm rewriting, which is what writing is, yeah. a brand new musical that's premiering this summer in Dallas. And uh, when the director gave me notes that made me, my eyes cross, I sat down for five solid days and that's all I did. Yeah. And then when it was done, it, you know, I got to ride the bike again. Roughly, um, how many projects do you balance at one time? Are you a multitasker or yeah. do you focus on one at a time? No, no, no. I have to balance a lot because right now the, 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 main, the main thrust is the new musical yeah. that's opening in July. But Can you tell us what it is? Yes, it's called Going Hollywood, and it's got music by David Crane, who I also wrote uh, The Road to Qatar with and Aspire, and it's a complete original, which makes it really hard. You know, I came up with an idea. Thank and you for built having the an original characters. idea. Yes, it's not based on something. It's just, uh, it came out of the heat of my crazy brain. And it's been developing for at least seven years wow. in, in my brain and, and in readings and workshops. And uh, finally, it was supposed to premiere before the pandemic. And now it's finally premiering in Addison, Texas, North Dallas. And um, it's, 
it's kind of a strange time travel piece about two writers who have a, a wish to live in 1949 Hollywood, and they get their wish, and they find out there's a lot more to 1949 than, <laughs> than just singing in the rain. Yeah. <laughs> because wow. it was the blacklist time. Yep. So it's a, it's a good show. It's wow. Yeah. I'm excited for it. I wish... <laughs> Maybe we can do an Inwood field trip to Addison, Texas. That would be great. <laughs> Everybody, go, uh, get on your bikes and ride, Freddie Mercury says. Everybody gets of, of course, Dallas, Dallas in June and July oh is going to be glorious weather, 140. Tell me it's not an outdoor theater production. <laughs> no, no, Thank no, God. no, 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 no. Be air conditioned. <laughs> well, well, congratulations, Thank and you. we look forward to it. Um, but, but, but back to that question. Yeah. So that's like my main thrust now. Yeah, but also focus. we're working on Coney Island and yeah. uh, the... the web series and I'm always when I come up with a short story idea or something and I have a novel coming out so I've been editing that and what is the novel about? and the novel is uh, yet another strange time travel thing you know but but it's basically a, a, about Ethel Merman and Mary Martin and how their careers cross paths from the 1930s all the way to the 70s, and I send back a nerdy theater fan to live through their lives with them. <laughs> and, and it's very funny, and it's fun. And I happen to have known Merman in the last years of her life, so I have stories that nobody else has. Right. So it's historical fiction. Well, I mentioned before, um, you know, you did write Merman's Apprentice yeah. as well. So. And that's part of that's part of it. I'm hoping that this is it. I will put a cap on everything I'm writing about Ethel Merman. <laughs> I knew her for two years, and I've, I've used everything up, maybe. But I think it's wonderful. I'm sure Cleo will be a, a, a Blackhurst, who's a frequent collaborator of yours, and mine, actually, yeah. uh, and my other life at the York Theatre Company. Um, has uh, does tremendous work and is like Ethel reincarnated. Uh, for those of you who don't know, do yourself a favor and go check out Clea Blackhurst's work. Absolutely. Um, and we have a CD of Merman's Apprentice where she kills on it. 100%. <laughs> and she did Panama Hattie for us, yes. a Merman role of, at the exactly. York. So she's uh, quite well known. And uh, when she reads the novel, she'll want to make the movie of this. <laughs> maybe, well, maybe we can get her to the audiobook version. Yeah, right? yeah. And you never, the, that's a good idea. Yeah, oh, wow. you know. So... Um, <laughs> But uh, well, that's awesome news about the novel, and um, well, and, and you know, like you're saying before, though, you know, when the muse calls, you got to listen, and, and you know, maybe it is the end of Merman for you, maybe not. We'll find out. Um, uh, given the nature of your work, and, and thank you so much for sharing, because I think it's always wonderful to hear people's process and how they work, and it's, it's, it's almost as important as what the work is themselves. Many times, is figuring out how to get there, because I feel like our podcast is has this kind of quasi educational mm -hmm. piece to it, where people are always wanting to know, you know, what's under the hood, so to speak. Well, yeah, you know, writing musicals is a tough thing. It's very collaborative. I usually, because I'm the book and lyric writer, and the book is the libretto, the script, I, I consider myself the architect of, of the show, so I have to design the, skeleton. the whole the skeleton, the whole bones, but everything down to, from curtain up to curtain down, even where they dance, what the set looks like, what the costumes look like, even if it doesn't turn out to be that way, it says what I dream on that page. I was just rereading in, in uh, the new show, Going Hollywood, it said, and the set revolves, and they're in Union Station, and, and I know for a fact that they're not going to have a set that revolves, <laughs> <laughs> but it's still in the script, just in case. But, you know, but that's the idea and the director and your, your design team could figure out 
how does that transfer? Like what, and within their world, what does revolving mean? And, and is it a, you know, how does, how does that transition work? Exactly. And, and in fact, we were just talking to the director, Gabe Barry is going to be directing oh, it. Oh, really? And he's going to be literally pulling down a curtain, the, the whole, and, and suddenly we will be in Hollywood. So we don't need union stations. It's like we, we do a jump cut as if in a movie. Mm-hmm. So, but he got that because I said the set revolves. That's so and I always say, I, you know, I put everything in there, give it to the director and let them change it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and you worked with Gabe few times yeah, as yeah. well. So it's great that you have that collaboration going. And given the nature of your work in theater, and you work with a lot of different collaborators, being, you know, the book writer, it's not you're not writing a novel, you're not on your own, you're, you're inviting someone else in. And so I always wonder, you know, when I see a show, like, for instance, like, how do these people find each other? Because it's, it's, you know, Lerner and Lowe had different people. I mean, everyone, you know, the Rodgers and Hammerstein had different people. Cole Porter had many people that he worked with. It's like, you find out, you know, I'm, so I'm asking you, I mean, I know it's project specific, I would think, but I wanted to hear it from your mouth. Like, what are you looking for in that writing relationship that clicks for you both and making that collaboration flow well, for Well, yeah. With, for me, of course, the first collaboration is with a composer, since yes. I do all the words. Uh, it just bec- it was kind of an accident when I first started writing that I started writing two shows at once with two different collaborators, two composers, never knowing which one. You kind of put those pots on the stove and see what's going to boil. But uh, one of my collaborators was, was working on the road as a musical director, so he'd be out of town. So I'd work on that show a little bit. And we went back and forth, and the first one that bubbled to get on stage was my first musical, Dodsworth, which got on in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm always in Texas. And, You're uh, big in Texas. Big in Texas. And, but, that's, but finding those two collaborators was not easy, the first ones, because I basically put out word, I'm looking for a composer. And then I started hearing their work and, and also... Uh, just seeing how we were together. You have lunch. Yeah. You have to see if you like each other. That you're gonna ma- you're gonna get married for a few years and probably forever. And if those rights merge in the eyes of uh-huh. the uh, uh-huh. like a marriage, you know, if, when those rights merge, that's the marriage. It and is you're a stuck marriage. with that person forever. It is a marriage, and <laughs> and and some of them go south, but mostly I've been so lucky in that way. And as the years went on, I've stuck with a few of those composers. And for, with David Crane, for example, the, the, yeah. that was the strangest one of all because I got an email that said, we want you, write musical, how much? And he got one too. And they were fr- both from Dubai and they put us together. And we became best friends and wrote three shows now. <laughs> well, let's, let's go right there because I think it's a unique thing. You've written a lot of shows, but to pull one out of the hat, let's talk about The Road to Qatar. Um, I love the genesis of this musical. Um, so... Uh, so is it true that David and yourself were commissioned to write an American musical to premiere in the Middle East, which I believe was called Aspire, right? Exactly. It was Aspire. And then you wrote an entire other musical based on that experience of writing a musical. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they, they commissioned us to write the first American musical to premiere in the Middle East. Yes. Uh, we had no idea at first where it would be because the company was from Dubai, but it turned out to be for the Emir of Qatar and all of the ambassadors from around the world. They were opening up the Aspire Sports Academy, the stadium where they've had the Asian Games. We didn't know what we were doing. They, they were going to do a show in a football field and a, a larger stone soccer stadium in the world and when we got there and they showed it to us and they told us they dictated the plot 
and here's what the plot is. You have to do this. And so it was like it was like, like plug you want book things in. <laughs> <laughs> and but there was so little of it that it really made me have to invent a whole musical based on their plot. As long as I kept to that, it was a sultan's son is locked in a palace. He's very spoiled, and he can't go out. And he only wants one thing: a star in the sky. Go. <laughs> and we had to write that in six weeks. Wow. We had a deadline, which is a great thing to have because, the, you know, the thing about a commission is, is, is you get paid up front, sure. get paid when you, when you finish it, you get paid, 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 paid. So that was, that was part of the uh, genesis. And we, when I first started it, I remember hearing the first music I wrote with David. He gave me some music to lyrics I wrote. And I said, wait a minute, this isn't supposed to be good. <laughs> And it was really good. And so we started writing at our best, you know, thinking, well, why not? You know, nobody's going to understand it anyway, but we did it. And, and then it turned out to be a huge event. And so, but the genesis of going to Dubai, Qatar, and London, and Bratislava, where we pre-recorded the orchestra, and, and all of the craziness that went on along with it, uh, we, when we were finally finished, we said, you know, what are we going to do with this? Well, we can't do this big show with 20 camels pooping all over. <laughs> we have to, we took it and we turned it into a small five-character musical about the two writers who went to the Middle East and the other three people became all the Arabs and all the Italians and his mother and, and everybody did everything. And we premiered it in Dallas. <laughs> where else? And then it came off-Broadway to uh, the York Theater where uh, it did very nicely and we got a CD out of it. Then I went to London and the Edinburgh Festival, and it's played uh, lots of places. We're, we're, we're ready for a revival. It's the most un-PC show <laughs> since the Book of Mormon. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, I, I love that story. I think it's amazing, and uh, I would pay money to see that show again. I think we need to do it I again. I think it'd be great. David and I were talking about it. You know, this, this time we might have to, well, it's going to be, it's hard to cast when people double as a million things. You can't actually cast only Middle Easterners. Right. You can't only cast Italians. You can't yeah. only cast Jews. So we kind of throw it up in the air. Where are you right now with that with your shows? Because this whole huge push towards um, diversity and casting and colorblind casting, but same time, some shows, you absolutely call for it uh so just want to curious about your work well you know i'm i'm all for colorblind casting but that's not where we are right now either uh that that sort of feels like yesterday mm -hmm. and yet yet we're still in a little bit of yesterday we you know we're going to texas and certainly we've got a diverse cast there but we've had some trouble getting as, as diverse as we would like to get it. We would love it to be more diverse. Uh, and what we found in places like that is uh, African-American actors do African-American shows, and they don't necessarily do the white shows. And that's an interesting thing because we were ready to just throw it up in the air and do our show. Yeah. And uh, New York's a different place. Um, it, it's, it's different, but when you go to the regions, Sometimes, well, I just did one of my shows, Saturday Night at Gross Singers, in Sonoma, California, great for wine. And they told me, they said, we don't have any Jews to be in your show. And I said, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's about Jews, but I don't care. Otherwise, Fiddler on the Roof would never be done. Right. I, it just, I've never, that's never bothered me. But we are in a big transitional phase now where uh, ethnic, 
I'm 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 an I'm an old white guy, and you know what? I'm not allowed to write characters that are outside of my realm at this point in time. That's there's, a whole other subject. A, I think the word that you may be searching for, and tell me if you are, is authenticity. Like there's a there's a a, be, a bit of societal authenticity that they're saying in the industry is saying we want you we, we want you old Jewish man to write the old Jewish play. We don't want the non-Jewish man to write the Jewish play. And that's crazy. Right. That's because, what I'm saying. Yes. Because it would be crazy. Historically, so many great works of right. art would never have gotten written. So yeah. I, I, I have my opinions about that. Yeah. But I'm not going to be stupid at this point in my life to sit down and write Poor Game Best. Well, exactly. Right. <laughs> well, I, and I think there's... Yes, I think I think there's a time and a place for everything, and uh, and also it's important to pay attention to what moment we're in, right? And so we can all work together and figure out how can we do these shows. And unfortunately, there are certain shows will never be seen for the formidable future uh, that are just wonderfully funny shows that I'll just say are not very PC these days. Um, and and what is I mean? Yeah, but P I'm what getting is, what is PC? I'll tell you, I do comedy. So let's let's say if Mel Brooks would never have had one movie on the screen if he was writing now. Blazing, Blazing Saddles would never been made. Today. Never, and it's still hilarious. But oddly enough, they just came out with History of the World Part Two as a series on I think Hulu. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I haven't seen it. No, yet, I haven't either. But I'm like dumbfounded by that, right? <laughs> and I'm just like, how could you make? History, I mean, remember Gregory Hines in History of the World Part 1, hilarious, super off-colored jokes, uh, literally about color. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm, yeah, I'm just, it, it is a bit of a head-scratcher, right? Well, yeah, this we're, age. we're, we're, at, we're, we're at, a, is, yeah. at a crossroads, yeah. so we'll see where it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, kind of going back a little bit, talking about writing in general um, and crossroads, and you said you've, you've been writing forever. Um, and uh, and I'm in the musical theater world as well as amongst other worlds. Um, but uh, this climate conversation we're talking about where we are right now too is that you know how does one get their chops these days in writing? And I feel like there's been a very much an institutionalized way. Like, you have to go to the MFA program. You have to go to the BMI workshop. <laughs> you must have your passport stamped by all of them, and then make sure you, um, I don't know what, uh, intern at uh, said regional theater or make coffee for said writer. Um, what what advice can you give the young writer striking you see, out these I, days? Because I, I feel like it's a very strange time. I feel like it's been like, um, writing for musical theater, specifically on music, because uh, I produce it, has very, been very institutionalized. I think you're absolutely right. And that's not the way it was when I started. Uh, my first show was produced in 1995. I had a star. I had Hal Linden. I had Dee Hody. Uh, but Hilarious I people. just started to write. I started to write when I was 15 because somebody else had written a musical when I was an actor doing summer stock. And I said, well, I can do that. Yeah. And I just started to do it. So I taught myself. Now, of course, the biggest thing I was so lucky that Broadway musicals were, that were all over the place and, and, and really great classic works were being done. So every time I went to see a Sondheim show, uh, I was learning something really big and I'd go home and I'd try to emulate that. But I also would listen to Cole Porter and I would emulate him. I kept emulating the masters and learning more and more about the history. Not knowing your history is not a good thing. So uh, I knew I have the whole canon in my head and I 
you don't have talent, forget it. But I had some talent. I could take a Cole Porter lyric and write my own version of it. And so I, it was all self-taught over the years. And even every time I do a new show, I still feel like I'm self-teaching myself. But if you don't get it on the stage, you learn nothing. You can have a million great shows sitting on a shelf there on, on, in little books. And it is the actors and the directors and the set designers and the lights and the producers because it is not only highly collaborative, it's also, it's got to be scary. It is scary. You know, even doing, a sh doing three shows at the York on the main stage, everybody had their opinions about everything from casting to everything. And it was good. It was a good scary because you've got to know what you're doing, why you're doing it. Uh, so it's a good Sondheim story. So when he wrote uh, Maria, one of his first lyrics for West Side Story, uh, Jerome Robbins got him, sat him down and said, okay, what's Tony doing when he's singing this song? He said, well, he's kind of walking around and looking for Maria and singing. He said, no, 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 what is, what is he doing? And he couldn't figure it out. And Jerome Robbins looked at him and said, you stage it and walked out of the room. He learned his biggest lesson. You have to know everything because they're going to ask you. Somebody's going to say, well, why are, you, why are you doing that number? Why is that funny? I'll tell you why. And, and so you better have all your answers. So as far as writing now, yeah, you could go to BMI and ASCAP. I, went to, I did ASCAP for a while when Charles Strauss was still teaching it there. But all it turned out to be was you did your musical numbers, some people criticized you, some people said you were good, some people said you were bad. You took it with a grain of salt. It was, it was a good experience in that way because it's all taking it with a grain of salt and saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, and going off and seeing if it resonates with you. Mm. But as far as just go, going to a school to write musicals, I, I, that, that would be a good musical. School for musicals. I think you have your next, <laughs> think you have your next assignment. Because, because there are no formulas. So school of rock, school for musicals. Yeah, if there were formulas, we'd have a lot more hits. Well, I mean, come on. You know, is there a formula when, when you have... When you have Lynn Manuel Miranda and 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 uh, John Kander and Susan Stroman, and you still get some bad reviews, a lot. They got a lot of bad reviews. Really, where's the formula? They they've done a million great shows. Right. Sometimes it doesn't work out. No, That's exactly. But but if you look at a huge hit like Hamilton, there's no formula. You can learn nothing from Hamilton except be be that good. Well, I think it goes back to the old adage too of the Beatles, like those four guys made that music. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. like, well, then... then and nobody else and, is going to do and, that. And no one else is going right. to do those songs because those four guys could only write that there music. Were, there was, once Sorry, upon a time, a little bit of a, of, a, of a, not formula, but a way of, do, of doing things. And that's when Lehman Engel was teaching at right. BMI. And that's because Rodgers and Hammerstein were so successful yeah. with their shows that other people could use that template yeah, the, and still put... Yeah, Lerner and Lowe's like Rodgers and Hammerstein. But My Fair stuff, Lady yeah. is not... Oklahoma. Yeah. So it's but now all you I think all you could do is go back at least go back to those great shows and see what made them work. Yeah. Well, I it. think and that's true and, and then find out what your voice is in that. Yeah. Like and then it's like, your like, voice. like you're saying it's like, you know, you can you can doodle with the Cole Porter lyrics and make him around. I mean, our contemporary guy, believe it or not, the, I will say the, the, the best musical lyricist might be Weird Al Yankovic right now in our contemporary society. I mean, the guy's still going, and how many songs is, have he has he mm -hmm. sent up as, as satire? Um, different 
direction. Right. But principle still the same. And applying that is saying, you know, what do you what do you bring of yourself to the material? You learn your craft, um, yeah. and if you're a lyricist, I I I, I am fully invested in craft and and real rhymes and and craft and how they go with the music and how they, and you don't know that sometimes until you have an audience in the room. Is something going to get a laugh? How would you know until well, you get that laugh? Well, that's the biggest thing I find. Like you said, you said earlier, they can't sit in the shelf. They're plays. They're meant to be seen and heard. It's like Shakespeare. It's like the, when you argue with the English department at the college about Shakespeare, saying, "Well, that's our guy." I said, "What do you mean, your guy?" <laughs> <laughs> you can read it all you want to, but yeah. the plays, they're meant to be heard and seen. Totally. And like, oh, really? And they haven't even seen half of them. Totally. Um, so, well, thank you for answering that, because I feel like it's a, I think it doesn't get discussed very often. And I feel mm -hmm. like there's um, a lot of people out there looking for an in, uh, right. who are sitting in their quote-unquote Inwood Dickensian Garrett's uh, <laughs> figuring out how do I get how do I get my stuff out there? No, it's true, and I see people on Facebook all the time, and they ask those questions, and there are no real answers except do it, try it, do you know? Here, when I do tell people how does how does a show even develop, you write your first draft, even if it's not done, you do a little living room reading for ten of your favorite friends who are not going to tear you apart, <laughs> <laughs> and you learn something from yeah. that, and then you go in levels and levels and levels. And, it, and that's why shows take so long to get on. Yeah. yeah because yeah. you're constantly of, developing. There's a lot of ego involved, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, guard, guarding it and otherwise. <laughs> um, let's talk about Coney Island Surprise. Yeah. Um, turning it to a different form of uh, comedy and musicality. Uh, where did the story come from and what made you format it as a web series? Well, let's see. So I sometimes lead these road scholar groups which are a week-long theater tour i'm starting one on monday where uh 25 people from a, they used to be more seniors they're getting younger now and and we i take them to see three shows we go to sardis they get to they get to tour the whole air broadway area it's a broadway immersion thing and uh Sometimes I get interesting people on those. And one day, one woman fell down. <laughs> and she fell down badly on 8th Avenue. And I had to call 911, take her in an ambulance to Bellevue, of all places. And that's where they took us. And I spent the day with her while the tour went on without me. And she told me her life. And, and, it, and she was cantankerous and mean and funny and, and, and very hilarious. And I just absorbed this whole thing. So I sat down and wrote a short story about her. And changed the name. <laughs> it's all fictional now. And the short story, then I th thought, well, you know, this could be a one-act play. So I wrote the one-act play. And I then thought, you know, this would be better as a TV series because I got the idea that this cantankerous old woman would come to New York and live with the tour guide. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that was, that's what the series was about. And, and, and I sent it to my friend Anita Gillette, and who had been in Merman's Apprentice playing Ethel Merman's mother, and she loved it. And she sent it to two friends of hers, a producer and a director, and we started talking about it. We raised a few bucks, and we shot what was going to be a normal 30-minute pilot. And then as we were working on it, we said, you know, this would be better if we cut it up into more of a web series, 10-minute episode type thing. And so we took that 30 minutes and cut it into three, and now we have three pilots, <laughs> basically. And now the next thing is to 
raise some money and do some more. And of course, the guy, the tour guide lives in Inwood. So, awesome. you know, my apartment will be used. Excellent. <laughs> and all the scenery around here. And she, but she being this ex-New Yorker who is moving back here and has, if you remember Sophia on The Golden Girls, she had no filter. Well, this woman has less. <laughs> <laughs> Paper thin, folks. Yep. Well, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, the, the pilot will show at the Inwood Film Festival this coming summer, uh, spring, I should say. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and like I said, there's more episodes to follow. And how many do you think there will be? Do you have any idea yet? Well, I mean, if we could, if three we, now. I have written a season, which okay. is about 10 of them. And okay. we'll, we'll see, you know, how, how they map out as, as far as how much money we can yeah, spend. Yeah, we've got to figure out how to do that. Once yeah, and the, it was fun to write the whole season. So I have an arc. I know it could keep going. Uh, we have some wonderful cast people. And uh, we'll see. Awesome. It was a, it's a lot of fun, and it's a lot of fun not to worry about, here comes a song. Right? <laughs> In a musical. Well, we'll say, will there be songs? Well, we wrote one. Ah. Of course. We wrote, we wrote a tiny little 30-second theme song about Miriam. That's the old lady of the okay. show. We're going to put it at the end of the third episode. So when, when, <laughs> you know, when that gets shown, we'll, we'll have that. Anything you've learned about writing for this web series, Cutting It Up? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've learned an awful lot. First of all, uh, it's been it's been fun to write for comedy, but not know what your audience will be. Yeah. So, and it's film. So, uh, the, I've learned from the director a lot. He has taken sometimes things that we've shot that might have been fourteen minutes, and then now it's seven and a half. And he'll send it back fearful that he's cutting any of my wonderful dialogue. And I'll go, that's great. I know it should be less. And so I'm, I'm learning that. And probably as I write further, I will be thinking more uh, short filmatic things rather than theatrical. Awesome. Yeah, we had a a long monologue for Anita. That would be wonderful on the stage. (laughs) Tragic monologue. It's now, you know, a minute. (laughs) But but I think it's, thank you for answering us so honestly, because I think people need to hear that, how how the format and um, the medium is important. It changes you. And and you have to keep asking your questions. Who is your audience? And and what are these story points that people are going to understand, right? Absolutely. And how they they may or may not land. And film is, and... um, you know, people are watching it on their phones. They're watching it on a big screen coming yep, up. Yep, and, yep. Uh, but it's and and honestly, watching it with people's tons of different time, totally different experience than watching it with yourself on a, and your Netflix or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Uh, or rather be in a live theater too. So yeah, just different ways of approaching the medium. No, I'm really excited that we're going to have a real audience. That's going to be well, that's going to be something. Uh, uh, it was only shown once with a real audience, and I wasn't there, but I heard that the laughs went over the next lines and I went oh that's interesting you know how do you how do you fix that in the future well that's uh, yeah that is a whole it's, it's a whole you know, separate thing that's yeah. that's a, like a little edit thing where how do you how do you get them to still laugh and not get rid of the next line but we'll right. we'll figure that out yeah. but in this case um it, it yeah, you're right, on the phones. That's the attention span. That's why we're thinking seven and a half minutes. Yeah. That's great. I'm on the subway. I can see three of those. And that's what our dream is. Well, we're looking forward to it. <laughs> and uh, just to recap, you know, you have the musical premiering in Dallas coming up. Yep. You have the web series. Uh, anything else on the horizon? The, the novel's going to come novel, out. Yep. Yeah. That, Merman, yep. I'll be holding the books and selling them <laughs> in the street. <laughs> well, well, we'll do our best to get the word out. And we're doing it right now. So, yes. Stephen, 
Stephen, I want to thank you again for, for being a guest here. And where can we send people to find more about your work? I have a website, yes. www.stephencolewriter.org. That's with a PH. So all one word, stephencolewriter.org. There you go, folks. You have your marching orders, and uh, we'll put that uh, link in the description of this episode so you guys can find them easily, okay? Uh, but thank you again, Steve. This was fun. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> My pleasure. Uh, this is uh, In What Artworks On Air Artist Spotlight episode where we meet the mu musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes that make their home here in northern Manhattan. Uh, if you have a moment, please show us some love right now by rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Uh, many thanks to the Church of uh, Holy Trinity here for hosting us in Inwood and to Hidesites.com for Uptown promotional support. And you can support On Air and all of our Inwood Artworks programming by making a tax-free donation to InwoodArtworks.nyc backslash donate or via Venmo at Inwood Artworks. You can support On Air and all of our programming here and follow us on social media at uh, Finding About the Inwood Film Festival and Filmworks Al Fresco and our pop-up art galleries and live performances and so much more. Inwood Artworks On Air is proud to be supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. And Inwood Artworks programming is made possible by the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of the office and the governor of the New York State Legislature. From the top of Manhattan and the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims for Inwood Artworks On Air.